Today, we're continuing uh, really from where we left off last week, and so I do want to give a, a content warning that uh, if you're a parent and you've got uh, middle school or high school kids with you and you've never talked to them about sexuality, specifically the topic of transgender, uh, we've got, I've asked our uh, student leaders, uh, our middle school and high school leaders, uh, to have a separate Bible study in our living room uh, for middle school and high school kids. If parents you haven't talked about this with uh, your kids, I really don't want to be the guy uh, that talks to them first about issues of transgender. So I'm going to pray, and uh, if you need to uh, want to send any kids out to the uh, living room, this would be a good time to do it. So, God, we love you so much. We give thanks for, uh, God, you, that you know us and that uh, you care for each of us. And, uh, God, I'm thankful that you know exactly where all of us are in this moment right now, uh, which means, God, you know what we need more than anything. Um, God, we might not even know exactly what we need, but you do. And so in these brief moments that we have together, uh, God, would you please continue to speak to each of our hearts and our minds? Uh, and God, because of that, uh, we would have a greater picture and understanding of who you are and how great you are. Uh, so God, for those that have questions, and maybe they're questions not even related to what we're talking about, but questions, God, I pray that you would be generous to speak. God, for those that just need comfort and encouragement, inspiration. God, would you, by your Holy Spirit, speak to each of us in these moments as we consider what you have to say, what your word has to say uh, about sexuality. Uh, God, so please give us hearts uh, that would respond to you. Give us ears that would hear anything and everything that you have to say to us. Uh, we love you, and we want to say thanks in advance. We trust, God, you'll do greater things today. We pray that in your name. Amen. Uh, this is week number eight, uh, of our series called Ask, and I've shared with you at the beginning of each message that our heart in the series was that we'd see God. Uh, many people have questions uh, about God, about spiritual things, but not everyone who's asking actually gets to see God, and our heart was not just to provide answers, uh, but to walk together uh, in a season with this series called Ask, that we would see God. And as I shared last week, uh, primarily God reveals himself through people who know him and are walking with him, uh, meaning we get to see God in other people. But like I mentioned last week, when we talk about sexuality, whether it's homosexuality or we talk about transgender uh, today, sadly and unfortunately, when the conversation turns to, towards that, people who are, know God and are walking with God either display faces of anger and faces of judgment or sometimes faces of just indifference or confusion and so it's hard for people to see God in the midst of this conversation. I shared last week that usually there's two camps uh, when we talk about sexuality. There's the truth camp, and the truth camp is they know what the Bible says, they know what God says, and they just want everyone to know that. Um, and I'm not saying that that's inherently wrong and sinful, but you may have come to the right conclusions, but even the right conclusions can be handled in the wrong way. Uh, we're not to treat people as projects to be fixed, but people to be loved. So you have the truth camp, but then you also have the love camp, and the love camp is, I know the truth, I know what God says, I know what the Bible says, but I also know someone whom I dearly love, that their life is being lived in complete opposition to what I know to be true, and because I love them as I do, how we understand the truth and how we apply the truth begins to just shift and change. And so my heart was that we would not be truth camp people or we would not be love camp people, but that we would just be grace people. Uh, that we would be men and women who are like Christ, uh, that we would love people as Christ 
loves people, uh, that when we see people, we don't first and foremost see what we need to fix in them. We see them as Christ sees them. He's, it's gospel, uh, that we would be gracious. And we, when I say gospel, I mean that God doesn't deal with us on what we are doing morally right or doesn't deal with us on what we're morally doing wrong. He deals with us, sees us through the lens of what his son has done. And so my heart has been truth and love, there's a place, but I want to be grace people, especially as we talk about this subject of transgender. Um, now, what I shared with uh, you last week, this is the continuation of that, and here are the two questions um, that we did not uh, get to last week, but we start here. Question one, if Bruce Jenner uh, marries a man, uh, is that homosexuality, heterosexuality, or something completely different? Uh, is changing your sex, male to female, female to male, is changing your sex uh, a sin? Doesn't God want us to have a fulfilled life? Doesn't God want us to be happy? Uh, and then the other question uh, is, how can we share the error of homosexuality's ways without alienating them? How can we share the love of Christ without supporting the sin or the lifestyle behaviors uh, of homosexuality? Uh, like I said last week, these were great questions that can't be answered in just five minutes, and to be honest with you, they're not questions that we can just completely cover in 35 minutes. Uh, but when it comes to matters uh, that we're talking about today of transgender, this is not a new issue. Uh, this is not a new issue. The very first uh, sex reorientation operation took place in 1930, and well before that, there's documented doctors who are, and psychiatrists who were talking about these things. So for the better part of the last 100 years, and I'm guessing well before that, but as best as I can tell, this is not a new conversation, but what I would tell you is that this conversation about transgender is front and center in our culture right now. Uh, if you were to look at the cover of Time Magazine uh, from June of 2014, uh, Laverne Cox, who is uh, on a famous um, uh, Netflix uh, TV show uh, called Orange is the New Black. In the first service, I said it's Orange is Black, and that's not the TV show. It's Orange is the New Black. Uh, so this was something uh, that was quoted from what Laverne Cox had said in this article. People need to be willing to let go of what they think they know about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. Just want you to hear that again. People need to be willing to let go of what they think they know what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman, because that doesn't necessarily mean anything inherently. At the heart of the conversation that we're having on transgender is the questions of what does it really mean to be a man? What does it really mean to be a woman? What makes a man a man? What makes a woman a woman? And for me, when we're talking about these questions, we're talking about creation. We're talking about humanity. Thus, in this conversation about transgender, we have the opportunity to help people see the creator. We have the opportunity to help people see the creator's heart for them. I shared this last week, but a foundational truth that I want to remind us of is that our identity does not come from our sexuality. Your identity does not come from your sexuality. So when someone says that I'm gay or that I'm bi or that I'm tran uh, transgender, those are all statements that explain what we do, but our identity does not come from 
what we do. Our identity is so much greater than that. As we looked at, our identity comes from the image that we bear. Uh, And we all bear the image of God. It says in Genesis 1, God created human beings in his own image. He created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So at the heart of the transgender conversation is the desire to understand our identity of who we really are. And this is amazing because as we help people see the creator and we can help people understand that identity flows from image, like our identity comes from the image that we bear, which means our value, our worth, our significance doesn't come from what we do or don't do. It comes from the image that we have been given being created by God in his image. Now, I realize that today the topic of transgender, this is just, it's uncomfortable, uh, I, I totally get it. It's awkward. It's really weird for me to be talking to you about these things because I have no idea what you're all thinking right now. But I can feel that this is a really uncomfortable, awkward subject. But it is so crucial that we talk about this not just because culture is talking about it. That's helpful that we're talking about it. But I wanted to share with you the one reason of why we need to, as a church and as Christians, why we need to be talking about sexuality, homosexuality, transgender, specifically today. And I wrote it down in my journal like this of why we need to be talking about it. We are called by God to love our neighbor. We are called by God to love our neighbor. It says in uh, Mark, um, someone had asked Jesus the question, what's the most important thing that I could do? And Jesus' response And I want you to hear, the question was, what's the most important thing? What is the most important thing that I could do? And Jesus answered the question, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The second is equally important. It is equally important, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. So I wanted you to know it is a really big deal to God, not that you just love him, but that you love your neighbor, and our neighbor is not narrowly defined by those that look like us and think like us and act like us and have all the same preferences as us. Our neighbor is all people. So why we need to have what some might say is an uncomfortable, awkward conversation on this, because what's at stake is we need to love our neighbor. And our neighbor is not just those who look like you and think like you. Our neighbor is all people. It's safe to say that as a church, the ones who know that we are supposed to love our neighbor, at best, have fallen very, very short in this. And I don't mean just Genesis. I mean the church, men and women who are Christians who know better, men and women who know that the most important thing we're supposed to do is love God and to love our neighbor. The ones who know this are the very ones who have fallen very short. And when we fall short, people get hurt. People get hurt. And when we fall short in this, people don't see God. And that is our heart, is that people would see God and how amazing the creator is and that the creator created us in his image and that our value and significance and worth comes from that. So this is why we're talking about this today, is that we are called by God to love our neighbor. I just wanted you to know that my heart for Genesis is that we would love our neighbor really well, that we would be accused of being the church that just overdoes it 
that we love our neighbor really well because it is equally as important that we not just love God. That is important. But Jesus himself said, equally important is that you love your neighbor. Um, uh, I'm going to answer the questions uh, uh, that we're talking about, but as I've done before, I wanted to lay uh, some groundwork, uh, a foundation of sorts of just some biblical truths that will hopefully uh, give a greater understanding of how I'm answering these questions. So I'm going to share with you three crucial biblical truths. Number one would be this, compassion is not compromise. Compassion is not compromise. A key characteristic of Jesus uh, that should show up in all people who follow Jesus is that we would be men and women of incredible compassion. And I fear that sometimes we lack compassion because we think if we're compassionate to a person, we're somehow going to compromise on truth. Uh, Jesus, in Matthew 9, says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So when Jesus sees people, he was filled with compassion for them because he knew what they needed most was a shepherd. And what that meant was someone that, would care for, someone that would care for them, someone that would lead them, someone that would protect them, someone that would love them. What Jesus knew is that they needed him. They needed a relationship. They needed to know the shepherd. Um, it's uh, John Bloom in a great book called Biblical Manhood and Womanhood said this, Sexual identity must be for us more than an abstract social issue. Real souls have endured real anguish over it. We must seek to understand their painful stories before we speak into their struggles. The more we know, the more compassionate we will be, uh, our, will be our truthful response. But again, I just, I feel like we've, I feel like the idea is that if we're compassionate, we're somehow going to compromise on biblical truth. And I just wanted you to know, being compassionate is not being compromising. For me, I can't, I'm 43, uh, I'm a man, and for 43 years, I've never once struggled with anything in me, uh, the desire to be female, ever. So it would be easy for me to say, well, I, I can't relate, therefore I can't engage, I can't be compassionate, I can't be caring. And I just wanted you to know, if you can't relate with this struggle, that does not mean that you should not care, and it does not mean that you should not be compassionate, because there's many struggles that we all have. So we get the idea of struggle, and in the midst of struggle, we be compassionate. Um, I wrote it down in my journal like this. If people would see a compassionate God, they must see compassion in us. I know God to be compassionate because he's been compassionate to me. And if we really want to help people, all people see God, that God is compassion, they must see compassion in us. Uh, number two is a foundational truth. Our sexuality is fractured. Our sexuality is fractured. In other words, the ramifications of sin that sin have had on us have impacted and influenced every aspect of our sexuality. And I just don't mean that for some people, I mean that for all of us. Because of sin, all of our sexuality has been incredibly fractured. Our bodies, our minds, the way we relate to one another, and certainly how our culture understands and promotes sexuality is incredibly fractured. Another way to say this is we've gotten really far away from God's heart and design in sexuality. Genesis 2, verse 25 says, Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. 
completely naked before one another, physically, immensely, emotionally, relationally, and there was no shame. I don't even think any one of us could envision a sexuality where there is no shame, there's no fear, there's no guilt, there's no hiding. And so my point is not that sexuality is beyond redemption, but rather our sexuality and how we understand it, it needs redeeming. That's why we need in this conversation to help people see the creator that they might see a better way, that they would see his heart for all people. Third truth would be this. The goal is Christ-likeness. The goal is Christ-likeness. In other words, God is not wanting men just to be better men, and God's not wanting women just to be better women. Rather, he wants humanity to reflect the image that we bear, and the only way we can reflect well his image is through growing in the likeness of his son. The goal is Christ-likeness. If you're a man, your goal is not to be a better version of what you think it means to be a man. Or if you're a woman, your goal is not to be a better version of a woman, however you would define that. Our goal, male or female, is Christ-likeness. Colossians says it, uh, the Apostle Paul says in Colossians, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. We're not becoming gods, but because God's given us his image, we can bear and reflect characteristics of God. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. I wanted you to hear that because what matters is Christ. What matters for men is that you look more like Christ, his character. What matters for you as women is that you look more like Christ and character, that we are bearing well his image. So this is not to say we don't celebrate the differences between male and female. We should, but we must never forget that we share a common humanity. We share a common humanity. Both sexes bear the image of God, and his call on all of us is to reflect his image. So those are three, what I would say, just foundational biblical truths that will hope, hopefully help us as we answer these questions. If Bruce Jenner marries a man, uh, is that homosexuality, heterosexuality, or something all different, altogether different? Is changing your sex a sin? Doesn't God want us just to have a fulfilled life and to be happy? I would just start by saying, I don't know Bruce Jenner. Uh, I've never talked to him. Uh, I've never had any conversations with him. I know that in the 70s, he was an incredible uh, Olympic athlete. And I know uh, recently uh, he married into a very uh, powerful, popular, culturally speaking family, which I think he has now left that family. Uh, So I don't know Bruce Jenner, but what I do know about Bruce Jenner is that he suffers from something called gender dysphoria. Um, gender dysphoria, if you're not familiar with that term, uh, here's the definition for you. Gender dysphoria refers to the experience of having a psychological and emotional identity as either male or female, and that psychological and emotional identity does not correspond to your biological sex. Another way of saying that is born biologically male, but you emotionally, psychologically feel female, or uh, born biologically female, but Emotionally, psychologically, you feel like a male. And so the question, gosh, why does that happen? Uh, there's 700, over 700,000 people today who battle, struggle with gender dysphoria. So why, why does that happen? 
where is it? Is this a biological thing? Is this a psychological thing? Is this a cultural thing? Uh, and in reading a great book on gender dysphoria, uh, Mark Yarhouse uh, said it very well. He said, scientists do not know what causes gender incongruence. It's a rare phenomenon and one which we have little, by the way, of research to inform the discussion. Uh, and in reading a lot on this topic, science is agnostic on this. It doesn't have a clear answer. Is this a biological, psych- psychological? Is this a cultural? There's not a clear answer. So it's not to say that there's no information, but across the board, there's an agreement on there's uncertainty to why there is gender dysphoria. So by no means am I the expert on this, but I want to do the best I can to share with you uh, how do we understand this, biblically speaking. Your sex, okay? Sex, speaking to your physical, biological, anatomical, chromosomal makeup, our, our biology. Men, you have an XY. Women, you have an XX. So your sex is determined by God. Your sex is determined by God. I realize that science is looking into chromosome engineering, meaning deleting certain chromosomes and translocating certain chromosomes. Uh, That's not something that's in practice, but I realize that that's something that science and culture is craving and asking. And so when we get there, there will be another message on that. But I wanted to share with you, I'm not trying to avoid that. But it's just to say, uh, I wanted to be clear, God is in charge of our sex. Our sex is determined by God. So that being said, I do not believe that a man can declare he is now a woman. I don't believe that a a man can declare that he is now a she. One cannot biologically change from one sex to the other. Yes, there is sex reassignment surgeries, but those surgeries are more cosmetic than biological. So I understand that a man can take on characteristics of a woman. There's physical things that he can do to himself that would make himself look more female. But biologically speaking, a man cannot take on the biology of a woman. Um, Dr. Paul uh, McHugh, who is uh, lead researcher psychiatrist at Johns Hopkins Hospital uh, for the better part of 30-plus years in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, uh, he, was, he was the guy who was studying and researching this. He was the, the leader of this. Sex change is biologically impossible. People who undergo sex reassignment surgery do not change from men to women or vice versa. Rather, they become feminized men or masculinized women. Okay, I'm not trying, I'm not saying uh, that this to be somehow insensitive to Bruce Jenner's desire to become a woman, but it's, I'm just saying it's biologically, it's not possible for him to become a woman or to get an XY or an XX chromosome structure. So my question would be, then what makes a man a man? What makes a woman a woman? And I really want you to think about that. If someone asks you, what makes you a man? What would you say? Is it just your biology? What makes you women? What makes you a woman? Is it just your biology? What makes us men? What makes us women? Is it just our biology? And here's how I would answer that question. No. Clearly, biology has a big part to do with it, but our biology is not just what makes us a man, a man, and a woman, a woman. Genesis 1, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female He created them. 
So there's sameness that we all share. The sameness that we all share is we were created in the image of God, but there is uniqueness. There is uniqueness in how God created us, male and female. It says he created them. If I had weeks uh, to talk about this, to tell you how different Kyla is than me. Clearly, Kyla is my wife. Uh, clearly, there's biological differences between us, but there is differences in how Kyla operates and thinks emotionally, how she operates and thinks spiritually, how she intellectually, relationally. There are clear differences between me and Kyla. I'm thankful for those differences. I celebrate those differences, but let's ask the question, where did those differences come from? Do they come from God? Do they come from personal preference? Do they come from culture? Where do the differences that men and women, where do they actually come from? And the best way that I could articulate an answer to this question is there is a script of what it means, of what culture uh, would say what it means to be a man. There is a script out there of what it means for a woman to be a woman. And my answer is we need to learn to understand what is God's script for your life? If he has determined sex, the biology of our sex, and he, it says that he has created us male and female, as we understand the script for your life, that's where we will understand what it means for men to be men, women to be women. So I'm not suggesting that culture does not inform or even seek, uh, seek to persuade men on what it means to be men and women to be women. But what I'm saying is that we can either listen to the script of man or we can listen to the script of God. Uh, these guys are psychologists and have uh, done a lot of writing in journals and things like that. And uh, this journal in particular was very helpful. They said cultural stories determine the dimensions that organize people's experience. Culture stories are not neutral. They lead to constructions of a normative view generally reflecting the dominant cultural specifications from which people know themselves and against which people compare themselves. In other words, people will begin to believe the dominant storyline that's being told, and the dominant storyline being told in our culture is completely opposite to the script or to the storyline of God. And so we're going to choose to believe about ourselves either the dominant story, the dominant script that's being told, uh, by culture, or we'll seek to understand, God, if you created me, then help me to understand the script that you have for me. Um, I'm not saying that this next individual is a cultural expert, but she certainly has a big voice. Uh, Lady Gaga? <laughs> Lady Gaga said this, don't hide yourself in regret. Just love yourself and you're set. I am on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Don't hide yourself in regret. Just love yourself. The script of man is be who you are, whatever that is, just be true to yourself. That is the script. That's what culture promotes. But the script of God is if you want to find life, you've got to decide to lose it first. If you really want to find life, you need to decide to lose it. This is what Jesus said. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. You will find it. I realize that we live in a culture that says, gosh, it takes so much courage to be true to yourself. That is the message 
of, 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 of culture. It, is, it takes courage for Bruce Jenner to do a photo spread for Vanity Fair uh, saying, I'm now Caitlyn. That was hailed in our culture as, gosh, that took so much courage for him to do that. And if I'm going to be honest with you, I would say it takes a lot more courage to die to the self the world tells you to be true to. It takes more courage to live the life that God intended you to live. If you really want to be courageous, it's actually dying to the script that everyone else around you tells you you should live for. That's easy. Anyone can do that. But it takes a tremendous amount of courage to say, I'm going to die to that. I want to know the script uh, that God, the story that God has for me. Bruce Jenner, uh, in the article uh, that accompanied uh, the pictorial spread in Vanity Fair, was really sad. Uh, I didn't really know much about him, but I was, I was sad. Three different families, three different marriages, a lot of broken kids in the wake of all of these things that's happened over the last 30, 40 years. And uh, towards the end of the Vanity Fair article, uh, this is what he said. If I was lying on my deathbed and I had kept this secret and never ever did anything about it, I would be lying there saying, you just blew your entire life. You never dealt with yourself. What I would tell Bruce and what I would tell anyone else who would actually listen to me is that dealing with yourself but failing to deal with God who created you, the God who loves you, and the God who wants you to walk with him is blowing your life. If you really want to know what it means to blow your life, to waste your life, it would actually be just to deal with yourself. It would be tragic if any one of us got to the end of our life and said, well, I was true to myself, but I never knew the God who created me to know him. Um, the script of man is be true to yourself, but the most loving thing we can do for our neighbor is to help them see there is a better script worth giving themselves to. Uh, this is a, a book on theology, but it's a, a narrative uh, book. Um, it's called Clear Winter Nights, and it's a story of a younger guy who's spending time with an older retired pastor, uh, struggling, uh, sharing with this pastor his struggles and his questions and his frustrations. Uh, and so this is one of the conversations that they have. It says The pastor is speaking here. He says, I know there are people who think I'm telling them not to be true to themselves, and they're right. The Christian preacher tells people all day long, don't be true to yourself. The self you'd be true to is rotten to the core. Authenticity isn't accepting your sins, it's admitting your sins and then being true to the person King Jesus has declared you to be. I love that. Authenticity isn't just accepting your sins, it's admitting your sins and then being true to the person that King Jesus has declared you to be. We will choose a script. It's just a question of which script we will choose to live our lives by. Culture has a script. Be true to yourself. Live for yourself. But Jesus has a different script. If you want to find life, you'll die to yourself. You'll die to that script, and you'll embrace the script that God has for you. He created you in his image, both male and female. Um, part of the question that came in was, well, doesn't God just, doesn't he want me to be happy? Doesn't he want me to have a fulfilled life? And here's my answer to that question. Absolutely. Yes. I know some of you, maybe many of you heard, God does not care about your happiness. He only cares about your holiness. And I know that sounds more spiritual to say it like that. I'm just not sure I actually would agree with that. 
God does care about your happiness. Dare I say he cares about your joy. And what he desires for you more than anything is that you'd find your joy in him. And for those who find their joy in him alone, holiness will follow suit. Your happiness does matter to God. Your joy does matter to God. And God wants you to find your ultimate joy in him. And to those that do that, holiness follows after that. Uh, John Piper wrote a really great book called When I Don't Desire God. And he said this, I was made to know and enjoy God. You You were made to know and to enjoy God. God, the full enjoyment of God is my ultimate home, but I'm still far off and I'm on the way. And I loved how he said that of my ultimate home is finding my joy in God. My joy doesn't come from something else, someone else or doing things. My ultimate home, the ultimate joy is found in God. So if Bruce or Caitlyn Jenner married a man, is that homosexuality? Is having sex change, is that a sin? Here's how I'm answering the question. Anytime we seek to find our joy apart from God, that's a sin. Anytime that you or I try to find our joy outside of God, that is a sin. Anytime we seek to find our joy apart from God, if We think redefining sexuality or even trying to change our sexuality will bring us joy. It won't. Joy comes from not what we do or what we have. Joy comes from God. So when we seek joy apart from God, that's a sin. And you can apply that to anything. When I'm looking to someone or something else, thinking if I have this, I'll have joy, I'll have happiness, I'll have meaning, I'll have contentment, that's a sinful pursuit. Because God says, your joy is going to be found in me. Uh, How do we share um, the love of God with those who are currently seeking joy apart from God? How do we do this without necessarily supporting a lifestyle? And I thought this was a very thoughtful question of how do we engage people? Homosexuality, transgender, whatever the sins might be, how do we share the love of God with those who are looking for joy apart from God? And I'm going to answer that question with a question. And this question is really, really important. And I want you to, to, to really be thoughtful in how you answer this. When you see people, what is the first thing you think about people? When you see people, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? So if you see a guy who's clearly effeminate, he's wearing makeup, he's wearing jewelry, he's wearing whatever he might be wearing... What is the first thing when you see him that comes to mind? He's totally gay. Is that what comes to mind? If you see a woman who is clearly just more masculine, whether style or dress or whatever, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Oh, she's totally gay. She's a lesbian. If you see anyone for that matter, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Is it what they're doing Or is the first thing that comes to mind when you see people, do you see them as God sees them, as a man and a woman created in the image of God? I think the major problem we have is that when we look at people, we look at them first and foremost for what they're doing. When we see people, we see them first and foremost through the lens of what they are doing or what they have done, rather than seeing them as men and women who bear the same image that you do. Maybe another way of saying this, we see people first as sinners and then second as image bearers. And if our focus is placed on seeing people first as sinners, then 
you know what? You become fixated on the sins, and our focus will always be on trying to clean them up so they can start behaving more appropriately, however you deem appropriate to be. But when we do this, we limit the gospel to nothing more than just behavior modification and sin management, and the gospel is not that. The gospel is not just trying to clean us up and change certain behaviors and attitudes and actions that we have. When we focus on people's sins, bad behavior, I promise you, you will be less likely to love them, to care for them, to actually engage them, to build friendships, to build relationships with them, because when you see them, all you can see is what they're doing or what they're not doing. But when we see people first as image bearers and second as sinners in need of a savior, we'll begin to see, gosh, there's beauty in that person. There's value in that person. There's significance in that person. There's great worth in that person, not because of what they're doing or not doing, but because when I see them, I see someone who looks like me, someone who bears the same image that I bear. And when I see someone as a fellow image bearer, I'm excited to get to know them. And in hopes of building a friendship, a relationship with that individual, my neighbor, maybe they'd catch a glimpse of the creator. Maybe they'd begin to understand that they were created in his image and their significance, value, and worth comes from knowing and walking with him. And they'd see that joy is not found in what we do or don't do. It's found in knowing God. I wanted to finish, I guess, with uh, two invitations. These might be challenges, but I wanted to finish with invitations. If you're here today, and I honestly think this is all of us, I'm not saying this in an overly judgmental way. I'm just saying this for me. I know that when I see people, I don't see them as God wants me to see them. I'm too quick to see the sins. I'm too quick to see the attitudes and the behaviors and everything that I just might not like or agree with. And I want God to do a heart surgery in me, but I want him to do it in all of us. And so the invitation for you might simply be, God, would you change my heart so that my heart that you would give me would change my vision so that when I see my neighbor, not just someone who's got a different sexuality or background, but when I see my neighbor, when I see him, when I see her, I see a picture. I see an image of you. And because of that, I would begin to to love and to care and to, to reach as you have. So that might be for all of us here, is that in these moments of just prayer, ask God to do a work in your heart. Not to see sin first, image second, but to see image first. And the second invitation would be, if there's any one of you here today that has been looking for joy apart from God, I just wanted to invite you to repent of that today. I wanted to love you enough to tell you, you won't find what you're looking for apart from God. If you are looking for joy, happiness, contentment, significance, any of these things apart from God, whether it's in sexuality, whether it's in your career, whether it's in relationships, whether it's in anything, I wanted to invite you, if you're looking for joy apart from God, to repent of that today and simply pray back to God, God, my joy is in you. I'm sorry that I've been looking for it in lesser things. Father God, thank you for today and these moments that we have. God, whether to consider for the first time or consider for the first time in a long time. God, some amazing truths 
that you created us, that we bear your image. And because of that, our identity flows from that. Our value, significance, and worth comes because of what you've done for us. God, I pray for me, and I pray, I think, for everyone that's here. God, that you would do a radical heart surgery. God, that when we see people, our first thought is not what they're doing or not doing, but our first thought that comes to mind is, hey, that's someone else who bears the image of God. God, please change our hearts that when we see our neighbor, we see the image that they bear, that you have given them. Please do that work in my heart. Please do that work in all of our hearts. And God, if there's anyone here that is seeking joy apart from you, seeking joy in their, in their sexuality, seeking joy in something different, God, I pray that we would make decisions today to repent of that and confess, God, there, there's no joy apart from you. You are the source of joy. God, that is our ultimate home is with you. So God, if we're choosing lesser things, God, by your spirit at work in us, in this place, would you give us the strength and courage we need to turn from lesser things and to return to you?